Good morning, church. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ray, and it's my pleasure to give us the Bible reading this morning. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 8. I'll just pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to, to read, understand it, uh, to study it, and just I pray that you just help us to to soak it in this morning, uh, and to take in all your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 8, uh, we'll, we'll read from verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the law, <clears throat> the law law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that, in, that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness." And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of, of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of, fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. We, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen has no hope. But hope for who hopes for what is... Sorry. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? Is God for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up, gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who has, who has raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. All right, thank you, Ray, and good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so good to be here to continue on in our series of rest. Uh, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here at CPE, and uh, you know I've been been really loving just engaging with this topic of rest. Uh, you know, we've had a really busy weekend this weekend, uh, but there is something good about coming together with God's people to actually rest and, and just delight in God's goodness to us, isn't it? So now, hey, um, as we do get stuck in this morning, I did want to just mention a couple of quick things. Um, you know. Our podcast continues. Uh, Let me see if we can get that up. Yep, now our podcast continues. Now we've got one out on uh, marriage and rest. Now it's a bit of a longer podcast, but uh, if you're married, I want to say that this is probably the most important podcast of the entire series. So make sure you take some time out uh, to get stuck into that. Uh, The the other one is uh, I've also fielded some questions from people who've been saying to me, well, hey, what does that mean for me? Because I'm a student and I go through periods where I don't feel like I'm doing too much and then I have loads of holidays every year and and, uh, uh, and so we've actually got a podcast specifically for rest and the student life, okay? Rest in the student life, because uh, I know there's stacks of you guys who are students here, and you go f- from cruising to being massive levels of stress at exam periods and whatnot, uh, so uh, all of that's coming up, and that'll be out uh, shortly uh, this week. Now, uh, just to mention one other thing, we've got our bookstore. There's actually still a few books there over on the bookshelf there. Go and take a look, and if you're interested in any of those, come and let us know, and we can get that sorted out for you. 
All right. Hey, and last thing is that uh, at the end of the series, we want to have a bit of a question and answer session. So that's a chance if you kind of had questions about anything that we've said on a Sunday, uh, anything you picked up from a podcast, or even just, you know, practical questions with your own wrestles with rest, uh, we'll then fire those through for us and we will answer some of those questions together. Uh, we'll get a little Slido link up there online. We'll post it up on our Facebook. You can put it up through the Connect cards as well, which uh, CP will show us later. Uh, but hey, do you think start thinking about questions that you'd like to ask. All right, now let's talk about our fears. Let's talk about our fears. We live with many of them. Our fears are often the things that are, are drive us to work harder, to study harder, to make sure that we've covered all of our bases. Now, uh, this week uh, we had fears. Um, we were organising our, our son's seven-year-old birthday party. Uh, we had lots of friends and kids coming over for that. I wanted them to have a good time, but you know what? We were really worried. We were fearing that it was going to rain. We were fearing that maybe the kids wouldn't have enough to do. Maybe the parents would get bored. And so what do you do? Well, you work hard to make sure that everyone has a good time and that everything's in place. Second thing that happened this week, I sent my car in for service and it turns out that we need a $2,000 repair on our car. So there I am, thinking, worrying, fearing that, wow, what's going on with this? I mean, am I being taken for a bit of a ride here? Is this a bit of a waste of money, a repair that I do or maybe don't really need? Our fears drive us, don't they? Whether we like it or not, we have insecurities. They're things that might make us overcompensate, right? It it drives us perhaps to being a real perfectionist, a bit of an overworker. You see, I think we all live under, to an extent, some sort of fear or insecurity in life. Now, I don't know what you guys discussed in your discussions earlier. Maybe it's fear for the future of our world or for our country. Maybe it's the fears for the future of your kids. Maybe it's the fear of letting someone down, of not meeting what's expected of you. Perhaps it's the fear of death, your death or maybe those around you. Maybe it's the fear of being found out for, to be a fraud, of having your secrets exposed. Now, I don't know what fear might be driving you right now, but I can guarantee that our fears will be driving us in unhealthy ways unhealthy ways of living, of anxiousness, restlessness, of overdoing things. See, I think that's partly why this series on rest is so important for us. Like we said earlier, it's not just the rest of getting a bit more sleep or having more holidays. Actually, what we'll be talking today is about that deep rest, the rest on the level of our soul, the rest from our fears and our anxieties and our insecurities. See, on our series so far, we've covered various topics on rest, why we need to rest, why rest is so incredibly hard, why Jesus is the Lord of rest. Now, we're going to be looking at Romans 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at Romans 8, which is probably the climax of the book of Romans, and and it's actually one of my favourite chapters in the Bible. But the big idea being that we can only truly, ultimately, we can only truly rest when we rest in Christ. And Paul is going to show us why, why on a deeper level, on a more existential and, and personal identity level, that our ultimate rest will be found in Christ. 
Now, chapter 8 comes along as uh, at the end of a long argument through eight chapters where Paul's been really taking pains to explain to us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans, Paul shows us that every single person on earth, when they stand before the judgment throne of God, will be found to be guilty, to have rebelled against God, to stand before his judgment. But just as every single person is guilty for our sin, Paul also then goes to make the point, though, that every single person can have their sins atoned for through faith in Jesus Christ. You can have the slate wiped clean. You can be declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. Here's a few verses from earlier on in Romans chapter 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That's a very complicated little sentence, but to put it simply, everyone, every single human on earth has fallen short of God's glory. We have fallen short of God's standards, of his perfection. But we are justified, we are made right freely because of what Jesus has done for us by his sacrifice of his body and his blood and atonement for us. Now, you might have heard uh, us talk, you know, here in church, you've been around here for a while, that faith in Jesus means trusting in Jesus. Now, I want to give you another uh, explanation, another alternative way of thinking about that. It's the same, same idea, but uh, using some of the terminology we've been talking about this series, replace the idea of, of faith, trust, with rest. That we rest in Christ. We rest on the atonement of his sacrifice for us that pays the penalty for our sin, that we will no longer work for our own salvation or work for our own moral perfection, but we rest on Christ's death for us instead. We put down our work, we put down our, our striving to meet the requirements of God's law because we can rest in Christ. Do you see how all of the Bible is ultimately about that rest? See, when we get to Romans 8, Paul shows us why resting in Christ, resting by faith in Christ, is the answer to a life of peace, of joy, of rest, of freedom. It's because of what we we have in Christ. So here's a quick outline as we are running through Romans chapter 8. We're actually not going to cover all of Romans chapter 8. There's so much there, um, and it's worth reading over it again for yourself. But these are the three big points that we're going to draw from this chapter, okay? We can rest because we're free from condemnation, rest with a glorious new identity, and rest in the security of God's love. So you come with me. If you've got your Bibles open there on your phones, come back to me, chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You know, the good news of the gospel is 
The good news of the gospel is that there is now no condemnation, right? You saw that there in that first verse. Jesus has so fulfilled God's law that those of us who were previously condemned by it, those of us who broke it, God has freed us. He is con- instead of condemning us, he condemns sin itself in the flesh. There's the righteous requirement of the law has been met in us. How? Not through our goodness, but through Jesus offering his body. See, this is the glorious news of the, co- of the gospel. There is no more condemnation for you. See, church, how many of us live with a fear of failure? How many of us uh, live in fear of getting in trouble? How many of us work harder? How many of us strive for perfectionism in an attempt to starve off any kind of possible judgment or condemnation? Right, for how many of us do we feel like it would be the worst thing in the world to be on the wrong side of a parent, a teacher, a lecturer, perhaps, a boss? How many of us feel constantly condemned by our own consciences? Right? You find that you're your own worst critic, that the inner voice in you that's always criticizing and you're second-guessing everything you do. See, do you, how many of us pound ourselves into oblivion with every single mistake? And so we try and we compensate by trying to work harder and harder and harder to make sure that it never happens again. How many of us compare ourselves to others, wondering why it is that we seem to fall short of what others are, are capable of doing? Now, see, I think there is a healthy level of self-doubt. I mean, you don't want to go way down the other end to kind of narcissism, but deep down, deep down, a lot of us believe, deep down, that we're not good enough. And it often drives us into these states of anxiety, restlessness, overwork. But the good news of the gospel is that God has freed us. He has freed us from the judgment of the holy law of God. God who sees all of our failures, all of our faults, he doesn't condemn us. Who are we to condemn ourselves when God doesn't even condemn us himself? See, I think Paul's making a really important point for us and something that really will give us a foundation for a life of rest. And I think it's this. Because of Christ, we are free from condemnation. We are free to stop our striving for perfection. We are free not to be defined by our mistakes, but to grow from them. That we can be free from the inner and the outer critic. Let me say that again because I think it's so important and so rich. Because of Christ, we are free from condemnation, free to stop our striving for perfection. We are free not to be defined by our mistakes, but to grow from them and free from the inner and the outer critic. That's the freedom of being able to rest in Christ. You know, I can remember the time that I failed an exam at uni. Uh, From my memory, it's the only memory of an exam that I've failed. Now, let me say that I was completely rocked. Completely rocked. Now, I think part of the reason for that is that actually so much of myself was just wrapped up in my performance and in my academic ability. And so failing an exam was something that kind of just shot me straight to the core, right? Kind of just, it really hit me right here. It's funny when I think back to it now as a, you know, uh, 15 odd years on, but I kind of go back and go, why did I care so much? Really? Just an exam, resit it, get past, all good. But I tell you, at the time, it was crushing. 
I still remember just the palpitations and kind of sitting there kind of going, I can't believe I failed this. But you see, church, when you take to heart that in Christ that there is no condemnation, it's not that those failures don't matter, it's still important to kind of want to pass your exams, but I'm free not to be crushed by those things, by my failures, by my faults. See, because of Christ, we are free from condemnation. Now, Paul doesn't actually just stop at freedom from condemnation. God doesn't just take away our punishment, but he actually gives us a new identity, a glorious new identity. Come down with me, verse 14. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I reckon that these ideas here, the idea that we are adopted into God's family, I think it's one of the most significant ones for me, that I can be part of God's family. See, it's not just that I've had my slate wiped clean, that there's no more condemnation, or that I'm forgiven even. It's not just eternal life. It's not just a change to my status outside of me. It's actually a change to my identity inside of me. It's a relationship change, an identity shift. You're adopted to sonship. You become an heir. You become one who can call God your dad, Abba Father. It's a term of endearment. But secondly, it's an identity that guarantees your future. Why? Because you become co-heirs with Christ. Right? That puts me in the same privileged level as of Christ himself. That's crazy, right? That's kind of the ultimate rags and riches story. You know, my daughter is very much in this kind of cute princess stage where, you know, she just wants to be um, the princess with all the riches and privileges of what that means. You know, I think it's funny when I observe that because I reckon there is something just human about that, something human about that, that, that desires and wants and wants to grasp that sense of royalty, that importance, that privilege. See, actually, in lots of ways, I think we're all striving and we're all working and we're all hoping to try and keep up with the kind of world that we're in. We all do want to be royalty, a celebrity, perhaps a successful career professional. We're all trying to live up to that materialistic and hedonistic level of those around us. But God says that you won't find it from the fleeting success or riches of that in the world. You'll only find that in Christ, in your new identity as a son and a daughter of God. You know, in the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, it tells a real-life story of a couple of Scottish runners. And there's a couple of classic quotes, because as these two guys compete against each other, they have vastly different motivations for why they're doing it. Now, the first one was a guy called Harold Abrahams. And uh, in the movie, there's a quote here, and he says this. He says, I have only 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. 
You can kind of imagine a sprinter saying that, can't you? You know, you're there, you made it to the Olympics, you know, once every four years, you're standing there at the starting line, and you kind of go, the next 10 seconds is going to define how I'm remembered, how I'm, whether I'm successful or not. It'll define my legacy. Can you imagine the pressure of that? Can you imagine that only one person wins that race every four years? And you're pinning your existence, your justification of your existence on that? Now, if I can compare that, Eric Liddell was a uh, committed Christian, and he utters this famous line in the movie. I run to glorify God, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Can you see the difference between those things? One thinks that his success and his achievement, everything of his identity, his very existence, is pinned on his success in that moment. But what does the Christian do? The Christian says, well, it doesn't matter whether I win or lose. I run for the glory of God. In fact, when I run, I'm just there running out of my pleasure, out of my, the thing that God has given me to do that I can enjoy. You see, church, all of our work will be done for one of those two ends, won't they? Is it a way to justify yourself, to glorify yourself? Or do we look to God? Do we offer up our lives as a way to glorify Him? See, if your work is really down to, the, to, to justify yourself in those 10 lonely seconds or 60 lonely hours or 24-7 as a parent, well, you'll never be able to rest because, well, you'll always be wondering, have I done enough? Am I significant enough? Have I done enough to matter now? That's the burden, that's the crushing nature of trying to set our identity on those things. But the good news of the gospel is that you have a new identity in Christ. You are a chosen son or daughter of the King of Kings who has saved you and has a plan to use you for the sake of his kingdom. That's a better identity than anything, success or achievement or the praise and the applause of people could ever give you. See, I think this issue of identity, it's so huge today. It's so huge. Part of that, I think, is because of this concept that we're striving to create, define our own identity. Yeah, it's funny because I, yeah, actually, once upon a time, this wasn't such a big issue because your identity and your value came from, came from others, essentially. It came from uh, your value as part of your family, uh, being a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or, or even being a citizen, being a, being a member of a, of a country. But particularly in a Western society, what we've gone is we want, to, well, we want to free people from all those social roles. That you, can, you can be who you want to be. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like freedom. It's actually crushing. Why? Because now all of your value, your importance, your significance is all up to you. What if everything that you wanted to be turned out not to be so great after all? To be average or mediocre or just a standard average middle class Australian life? See, what's happened is that now identity is something to be earned or discovered or to be achieved or succeeded at. You know, I found this other quote that even our parenting, even our parenting can somehow reflect some of our own individual pursuit. It's a quote from a New York Times article. In a society that measures status and achievement in grades, 
in getting into the right schools, the scramble for advantage is bound to propel us into overparenting. Overparenting, however, is closely linked to overwork. It's harder to opt out than you think, for now we use our children to jockey for individual status. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? That is uh, article, this author is thinking, you know what, parenting's changed. Now we use parenting and, 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 and the success of our kids and of getting them ahead as being the thing that gets us ahead. We're no longer parenting them for their own good. We're now parenting for our own good. And so what do we do? Well, we come helicopter parents. We over-parent our kids. I think it's a fascinating observation. You see, whether it's our overwork, our overstudying, or our over-parenting, it often comes out of that insecurity of who we are. That we won't be who we are if we're not busily working on our career or getting top marks or being the best perfect parent we can be. And we happily sacrifice everything to our idols even when our busyness is just killing us, killing our bodies with the stress and the kind of unhealthy patterns of life, killing our relationships because we're putting our individual pursuits ahead of others, killing our soul through our neglect of our relationship with God. See, if you need to look to your marks, your careers, your children for your sense of security and significance, you'll end up working, overworking, burdensome. The burden of trying to be the perfect and successful and and the achieving one. But what if I said that God can give you something that none of those things can? A royal place in his family an intimate relationship with the God of the universe, a God that you can call your father? Do you see? Because of Christ, we can be at rest with who we are, free from the need to prove ourselves and our worth, free from the need for acceptance or to keep up with the materialistic and hedonistic lives set by the people around us. That's the gold, that's the treasure of having your identity given to you by God. That he can call you his son or his daughter. See, underneath so much of our work is a deep restlessness. A restlessness is often about who we are. That makes us a slave to our own ridiculous expectations, a slave to the opinions of others, or a slave to the systems of, of our society. But God gives us a deep inner rest that allows you to lean on him, to lean on what Christ has done for you instead of our marks, our money, or our careers, or our children. That we can now step away from some of those roles to properly rest. That we don't have to remain enslaved to those systems that drive us to exhaustion. That you can step off the never-ending treadmill of overwork or overstudy or overparenting. And when we rest and we spend time with God and his, pe- and his people, we, we are declaring ourselves to be no longer a slave, that we're a free man because of what God has done for us. See, one of my reflections actually in doing this whole rest series and I've been kind of discussing and wrestling out with people is I think the people who have found that rest, that rest and that, I would call it the kind of scent that... Um, who have a balance and a centeredness about their lives, and particularly a centeredness around God, is that 
We might do much better coping through all the stresses of things. We do much better when God calls us to actually stop and rest and step away and to make changes in our lives that we need to make. So I'm about uh, yeah, 13, 14 years out of med school now. Uh, most of my friends, have, they've gone through, they've uh, done their specialist training, their GPs or their specialists out there somewhere. Uh, but one thing I've noticed is the difference between those who were able to maintain a certain level of balance in their lives through it all and those who didn't. See, there were those who were able to complete their training, but they didn't give up on all the other aspects of life. Right? They were still committed to their friends and their family and that lot of Christians. They were still serving in church, often leading small groups through that period, still active in ministry. There were those who were able to go, yeah, you know what? I want to start a family and that's important, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. In fact, I even got some friends who gave up medicine altogether and they're all being missionaries overseas somewhere now. But then there were those who gave up everything for the sake of getting through their exams. They cut off time from spending with others. They dropped out of things like friends and church and other things. They put off starting a family. In fact, I've got friends who tried for seven or eight years to get into their specialty and never did because so much of their identity was tied to their success in in that particular specialty. But what I notice is that, see, when your identity isn't tied to your career or your specialty, well, you're free to change direction if you need to. You're free to hold loosely to your success or not. You're free to keep the, the, the important things, the truly important things, central and not give up on those things and not allow something else just to dominate and take over your life. See, when you're centred and you're balanced in your identity, when you have that true sense of security in what God has done for us, then we don't let things take on a disproportionate importance that destroys us or our relationships or our rest. And if God is central and time with his people is of ultimate importance, then resting in Christ means, hey, let's keep that central no matter what's going on. So we can rest. Rest in that glorious new identity of what God has given us. All right, well, let's bring it home now. Now, I know we're flying through this chapter and we haven't covered everything, but let's finish with this last little flourish that Paul does as he, as he finishes off this chapter because he really finishes with the fact that ultimate, ultimately our security is found in God's love for us. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our 
Lord. See, church, at the absolute climax, at the absolute heart of the Christian life, is that we can rest in a deep security of God's love for us. See, Paul's point is that God, he did not spare his very own son for us, will guarantee our future. Will he not graciously give us everything? That there is no one left to bring a charge against us. There is no more condemnation. No hardship or persecution or famine or violence can take that away from us. Not even death, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all creation can take the love of God away from you. You know, church, we ought to say a hearty amen to that. You see, there's nothing else in all creation that can guarantee our future like that. No technology or achievement or romantic attachment, no insurance policy or number of children can guarantee that. See, partly, partly, this is actually why I love Christian funerals, okay? If you ever get a chance to attend a funeral, don't pass it up. I know that's a kind of a funny thing to say, but I reckon you learn more about life from a funeral than you do from anything else. Now, I didn't actually get to attend this one in person uh, this week, uh, but you know, by the wonders of technology, um, a guy called Luke, uh, he was one of the most humble gentlemen that I've ever known. Uh, he, he passed a couple of weeks ago, and uh, his uh, funeral was this week. Now, he was one of those old saints who he just deeply, deeply trusted in Christ. His whole life reflected that. He was a missionary in, in Kenya and Vanuatu. Uh, got a big Christian family. Uh, many of them actually got one on and became pastors and missionaries themselves. And you know, this funeral, as I tuned in, it was, it was not a sad event. It was not a sad event. Okay, yeah, there were tears, of course, with the family knowing that he's passed. But you know, they sent him off into eternity knowing that he is secure in God's love knowing that his future is guaranteed because of what Jesus has done. In fact, I actually played a little interview with him uh, shortly before his death. That's what he said. He said, really, the gospel shows us who we are, how completely lost we are, and that Christ saves us, and that there is no other life for us once we know that. See, I reckon that there's... Very, that's a very different funeral to one in which there's no real hope. You know, funerals without Jesus, often celebrated, saying, oh, you know, they made the most of the time that they had on earth, or uh, they did life their own way, you know, they were such an individual, you know. And I'm not sure if uh, any of you spoke about the fear of death earlier, but probably for lots of us, that is in a, in a way a deep down fear for us, isn't it? But if you're in Christ, you can rest in the knowledge that not even death can separate you from Christ. To finish up with, there's a great little quote here uh, from a theologian, and he's talking about the significance of what all of this means for us and what this means in terms of how we ought to live our lives. There's a guy called Richard Lovelace. Who does he say If we start each day with our personal security not resting on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present achievements, such arguments will not quiet the human conscience and we are inevitably moved either to discouragement and apathy or to a self-righteousness 
or some form of idolatry that tries to falsify the record to achieve a sense of peace. But the, but the gospel faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love and what Jesus has done for us, instead of having... <clears throat> instead of having... I've lost the names. Uh, instead of God's love for us and what Jesus has done for us, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from all these other, other places is the very root of peace. Do you see what he's saying there? That actually when you go and warm yourself at the fires of the gospel, that's something that can truly give you peace. And all of our attempts to kind of find that through our achievements, we often find ourselves faking it, don't we? See, church, are you convinced on that? Do you dwell on that? Is this the driver for your life of work and rest? Because, church, if we really take this to heart, then I think it will really set us free to rest. To, as he says here, daily starting from that point, daily starting from the love of God in Christ for us, the fact that there is no more condemnation for us. When we start our day just delighting that we can be secure in God's love. Friends, then I think we'll be truly able to start making those changes in our lives that we need to truly rest. Let me pray for us now. Father God, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can just wash in his blood and know that there is no more condemnation for us. Father, we thank you that we can rest in him for our identity, for our security, and that nothing can take us away from him. Father, we pray that we might deeply drink of this well, that we might, on a deep level, rest in what he has done for us, that we might turn from our overparenting, our overworking, our overstudying, that we might keep those things in their appropriate place and that we might keep you in your appropriate place at the centre of our lives. And we pray, Father, that you might help us have that balance, that we might keep you there, and we might make the hard decisions of what it might mean to live like that. And we pray all of these things through Jesus, our mighty Lord and Saviour. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for faithfully bringing the word to us and how we can uh, find rest in Christ. Uh, how about we take a couple of minutes in reflecting on what we just heard, reflect on our fears and how no fear can stand against or can separate us from the love of God. Um, take a couple of minutes.
Um, we have come to a time of prayer. Well, prayer.